So welcome to another show. Today we have John Follis on, who's an advertising guy, who's the only guy who's been honoured by both the White House and the United Nations. Oh yeah, and he's also been fired four times. So welcome to today's show, John. Hey, Jeevan, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So that's a big set of achievements, isn't it? To be honoured by both the White House and the United Nations. How did you... How did you get from being fired four times to that achievement? Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's an interesting story. I started out my career working for some of the big agencies in mostly in New York City, and uh, I just never figured out how to deal with corporate politics. It's very, uh, as you can imagine, in New York City, especially in this advertising industry. It's highly competitive. And two of the four times I got fired, I think it had something to do with the fact that the guy who hired me at that those agencies left a few weeks after he brought me in. And if you're not if you're not kind of protected by the guy who wants you to be at that agency, I think you're a lot more vulnerable. So I, that's how I got fired those times. Um the the getting honored at the White House and the United Station uh, United Nations involved um, a little bit of talent and uh, a lot of luck and persistence. It's kind of a story, um, but we, when I say we, I had a business partner uh, did a campaign for child abuse prevention that ran on national TV in the U.S. during NBA playoff games. Uh, this was a while back, um, but over the course of about five or six weeks during the NBA playoffs, the spots ran a lot and were seen by about 28 million people in the U.S. And apparently one of the people who was watching basketball that year was the president of the, of the United States because um, about a month after the spots ran on, on these uh, NBA broadcasts, I received a letter from the White House saying, uh, we really were impressed by your public service work and we'd like to honor you along with a few other people at the White House. So who, who was the president at the time? Uh, George Bush. George Bush. First. I think I think you're also downplaying the achievement. You mentioned luck there. Uh, you know that you happen to be in front of I think you said 28 million people on on the NBA. But isn't isn't luck just preparation meeting opportunity as as the saying goes? Sure. Absolutely. So you've you struggled with the the corporate politics initially. I don't know if you've read a book uh, 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. No. It's a good. It's a really good book. It's all about those sorts of things. Or you're familiar with Machiavellian tactics. And this is one of the things that I think a lot of intelligent people with good moral ethics struggle with is the corporate politics because it's essentially a lot of backstabbing involved or deception and hamstringing people that people with a moral compass maybe don't like and. I mean, look, that that really sums up what you've done coming out of the corporate world to to look at promoting, and I don't mean promoting child abuse in that respect, as in bringing the awareness out of child abuse, which obviously shows that you've got a moral compass. What made you decide to do that, 
to come away from there, um, the corporate world, and do that. And just to tie this in with advertising, yeah. where does this all tie in with your prowess in advertising? So, you know, after getting fired a couple of times, you, you, you begin, begin to um, question things. And uh, after getting fired the third time, I started thinking uh, that maybe I have to reevaluate my career path. And since I wasn't having a lot of success in the corporate environment, I started thinking, well, how else can I make money with my talent? And there's something called freelance, uh, which as it relates to my industry means you get hired. At, I was a creative guy. I should mention my, my advertising uh, uh, involvement was as a creative person, both as a writer and an art director. So I started um, kind of hedging my bets because I kept getting fired from big agencies and tried to seek out some freelance opportunities with uh, some smaller agencies where uh, politics was much less of a factor in my ability to succeed with that agency because they were small. And uh, a lot of those agencies were just looking for someone who could come in as a problem solver. Sometimes it'd just be for a couple of days or, or you know, maybe a week or two. But um, when I, once I started freelancing, uh, my political skills or lack thereof became less of a problem, less of an issue. And it was more of an opportunity for me to showcase my advertising talent as a creative person. And as a result, um, my freelance experience became pretty successful and uh, so successful uh, that it ended up attracting a, uh, a business guy who uh, I started developing a re reputation and he called me up. He was looking for a creative guy that could uh, work with him to help him pitch business and hopefully eventually start an ad agency. So that's uh, this is kind of like I'm laying the the the, the kind of the the background story to getting invited to the White House because he and I ended up becoming business partners and starting an agency. And um, I showed him I'm, I've always been interested uh, to use my advertising and communication skills toward uh, public service. Uh, causes that I thought uh, were important. So on my own, I came up with a child abuse ad and showed it with him. And he thought it was a great ad. And that that kind of began the whole process of what ended up to be an invitation to the White House. But he, because he liked the ad that I created, contacted the National Organization for the Prevention of Child Abuse and told them that we had some creative ideas to share with them. And the the luck part of it, Jeevan, was that at the time we contacted them, uh, they were actually in Chicago. We were in New York. They said uh, that they were coming to New York for a meeting at the NBA. They didn't tell us why they were meeting with the NBA. They just said they were going to be in New York at the offices of the NBA. And if we wanted to meet up with them there and show them our idea, we were welcome to do that. Now, what, what they didn't tell us was that the meeting with the NBA was for, for them to try to get the NBA 
to um, collaborate with their organization and uh, give them some TV media time to run TV commercials for their child abuse prevention organization. So when we walked into the meeting, they had just basically signed a deal with the NBA where the NBA agreed to give them $5 million worth of TV time in about four or five weeks during the NBA playoffs. Now, this was back in 1991, Jeevan, so that $5 million now would probably be worth about $10 million now. Now, like I said, that was over a four to five week period. Um, so all they needed was an ad agency to produce some TV commercials. So it was kind of strange. We didn't know any of this when we went into the meeting with them. We just thought we didn't realize that um, the NBA had anything to do with what we had intended to do with the, the organization. But I found myself meeting with not just the, the people from the child abuse organization, but about eight people from the N N NBA. And once they explained what had just happened, then the conversation basically switched from the idea that we wanted to show them to, um, can you guys produce some TV commercials for us in the next couple of weeks? Because at that point, Jeevan, the, the playoffs were coming up pretty quickly and they kind of had a, um, they were under a, a, uh, uh, some, some time pressures to get something created and produced so it could run during the NBA playoffs. So maybe because they were um, so pressured to find an agency, we just happened to be at the right time at the right place. And they said, would you be interested in doing some TV commercials? And I said, not if you want the commercials just to be having your players on TV reading off of a teleprompter, you know, from a script that we write. If that's all you want the commercial to be because you want your players associated with child abuse prevention and you just want to give them some some TV time, you could find a, another production company to do that. We're a creative ad agency. We think we can do better than that creatively. So if you want to give us the opportunity to come up with something creative that we think is going to be more impactful, then we'd be interested. But not if you just want to do a, a NBA player talking to the camera. So they all kind of looked at each other and uh, finally said, well, um, sure, let's see what you got. So that was the beginning of it. It's, it's funny, though, how life works out, isn't it? That You know, it all happened to all come together at the right time. You know, you've gone through failure after failure in terms of job. And, you know, the more failures you go through, the closer to success you actually are. Now, you've got this opportunity in front of basically the NBA to deliver something that is against what they what they might have actually wanted you to do you know just give a script and and you know we can basically build the credibility of of, of ourselves so what right. is the content that you actually created then because as we were talking about off air there has to be value for everyone involved in any um sort of transaction i don't really like that word but we have to be able to provide value for everyone um, so what was the content? What what made it stand out? And obviously, because I don't know if they're the or they are some of your awards in the background. I noticed them about five minutes ago. Because um, you've obviously got some on the on the um, the the mantelpiece there, and you've got some over here on the filing cabinet. 
what was what was the content uh what made it so good well you want me to describe the commercials very briefly some of the fundamentals that made them what was your thought process to make them impactful the, i think because of yeah, work well, that the, you... cha the challenge was how do we come up we knew obviously the audience was basketball fans so the question was uh the creative challenge i should say was could i come up with something that somehow dealt with child abuse prevention but in some ways still related to basketball so that was that was the creative challenge um didn't have to relate to basketball um but they did want to feature their player somewhere their player somewhere in the commercial and i thought well if i don't i said i thought to myself i'm not sure if it's possible if I could make a connection between child abuse prevention and basketball. But if I could, I think the audience who's watching these, these, who's going to be seeing these commercials who are watching the NBA playoffs would respond to them better. So that's what I did. I came up with uh, three commercials that are somehow related to basketball. And a couple of weeks after the, the commercials ran, uh, Russ Granick, who is VP of marketing at the NBA, sent me a letter and said, you know, we've been doing uh, cause marketing with the NBA for about 20 years, but nothing we've done in the past 20 years have had gotten the response that your your spots have done for us. So, you know, we're very grateful for what you've done and uh, they've worked really well for the organization. So, um that was nice to hear. You know, it's always nice to do something creative. We were, you know, as a creative agency, we wanted to do something create creative. But because as a creative person, I believe the by being creative and also strategically smart, not just creative, but really smart with the messaging that the commercials would be um, have a much greater impact. And again, that's that's when I started thinking if I could somehow make a connection between basketball and child abuse, which I believe it or not ended up doing. And um, the child abuse organization said, we've never had so many calls call. They, they got some, they have had a 800, a, a phone, a toll free phone number for people to call in on anything related to child abuse. And they said that the calls increased by 50% during the month that those commercials ran. So that was nice to hear. Well, this is it, John. I think you, at the start of what you just said there, gave a really good point. You had to create in your mind a problem that you needed to find a solution for. The problem was, well, how can I mix the message of child abuse prevention with basketball? And th that's the that's where the solution lies. And I really like how you um, framed that because for most people, they think they haven't actually clarified what it is they need to do. Once you clarify what you need to do, it's easier to say, right, this is the direction everything needs to head into in order to get this done. And the fact that you did that from the outset is really good, especially, as you said, the demographic of people watching, 95% of them, I don't know what the fact the, the stats would be, but 95% of them love basketball. The other 5% might be girlfriends who don't really like it, but are sat there, you know, watching it. Right. But even then, when they see the child prevention, they'll be, you know, equally involved with that because it is something that resonates with them as well so right. 
is that is that a fundamental aspect of advertising trying to understand the crux of a problem and trying to deliver a creative solution for that yeah there's there's several things involved in any kind of successful advertising and marketing but one of the things that um we're, we're talking about right now is really um having an understanding of who your audience is how they think um what they will respond to you can't just be thinking of your product i mean obviously you have to think about what your message is but the better you can um uh, understand and appreciate the audience that's going to be seeing your message uh the better you will have an opportunity of doing something that is going to get them to respond. Yeah. It's like, what, does, that, uh, does that make sense? Yeah. It's like what Sun Tzu says about knowing your enemy. Only then can you really see what it is they, they want to see. It's like, if you make a product, you need to think if you were the consumer, is this too expensive? What's the quality like? What other colors would I like? Um, you need to see it from the other side. You can't think about it from your perspective, what you want. It, you have to have that mirror effect and look at it from the other perspective, as, as you've already said there, which is which is which is great. So, have you always done advertising? So even the the sackings, um, were they in the same space, or was it a case of you meandered through to find your niche area? I'm not sure I understand the question. Uh, ask it one more time. So you've obviously. You're specialist in advertising, and and you know when you made the advert that was in advertising, but you'd been sacked or fired previously from job roles. Was that in the same space, or was that something that you were sacked in other job roles, and then you were sort well, of you meandered your way into a specific? It was it was, it was in the same career for sure. It was just a different environment. I was I was a peon in a big corporate environment. Um you know, having to, you know, come up with creative work, but um, it seemed to be less about my talent and more about um, my ability or lack of ability to um, uh, get in the good graces of the people that were um, um, managing me. And like I said, in two of the four times, the guy who brought me in that, that I thought I would be working for decided to leave the agency, you know, within, within a month or so for a better job. So after that, I was basically, um, left to the, uh, you know, to be eaten by the sharks. I was kind of, you know, blood in the water at that point. Um, so the, the, the difference was when I had my own agency, I was working with a partner who wanted to be my partner because he thought I was, I was immensely talented and um, he, he loved my creative work. So it was the total opposite that I experienced in a big agency. He just knew that uh, the, the more I came up with great work that he could sell to a client, the more, more money we could make as an agency. This, this is it as well though, isn't it? It's, two things one is is the environment that you're in you could be the same person or the the same um have the same skill set in a completely different environment and you will thrive in one and you will right. fail in another oh, yeah and the other one right. the other point i got from that as well is that some people will see your talent and some people won't you right. have the same talent 
and some people will see the vision and some people won't see the vision. You shouldn't take Right. it personally that, oh, you know, I've got um, imposter syndrome now because Mr. X says that I'm crap. You see, you see it all the time on, you know, Shark's Den. Uh, is it Shark's Tank, sorry, in, in the US? And we've got Dragon's Den here in the UK. And I Shark think Ring, Tank, yeah. ring Doorbell, you know the Ring Doorbell that, that people have in their house now? That got rejected by the Dragons, I believe. Um, and there was no deal done. And now it's a multi-billion pound company, a multi-million pound company. Yeah. So even if people shoot you down and, you know, you feel that you failed or whatever, it's a that's just, a for me, a lesson that actually maybe you're in the wrong environment. Maybe it's the naysayers around you that you need to ignore and focus on your path. Because, look, not everyone can see the vision that you can see. You've been given a vision or you have a vision for a reason. And obviously, you know, the awards, et cetera, speak, speak for themselves. Well, that becomes the challenge because sometimes you you get fired for good reasons and sometimes you do suck. You know, it's not it's not always the case where, you know, they just didn't get your talent. Sometimes people get fired because they don't have the talent. So uh, it's not so easy sometimes when you get rejection to know whether or not uh, you've got to, you know, continue trying. And maybe, you know, take try to find a different path to achieve your goal, to reach your your destination. Or or give up and try something totally different. It's not not always easy to know. Yeah, no, that that is that is the challenge. It's persist and keep going and try to fix this thing, or realize it's time to give up and Right. move move, ta move task. Right. So where where's your next set of tasks then? So you've obviously been honoured at the the White House, etc. I don't know whether or not you've still got your ad your ad agency or whatever. But what's the the next path for you then? Uh, starting a, a rock and roll group, rock and roll band. So you're starting one, did you say? Sorry. Trying to start a rock band. See, see my, uh, Your guitar. yeah. So how how's that going? Is that is that your primary focus at the moment? Yes. So are you the creative uh, part of that as well in terms of the 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 writing of the music and things like that? No, 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 no. We're not writing any music. We're singing Beatles songs. Obviously doing covers. Yeah. That's fair. So so you're doing that. Um, is there anything else that you're doing in terms of projects? Uh, obviously you're on the show. Uh, things like I, that. I do, you know, I, I always kind of keep my fingers in uh, volunteer work. I've been um, tutoring Ukrainians via Zoom uh, for the past year, helping them speak English. That's That's fun. that's good. And So you start uh, to help people. You've play, got to. play, playing as much, you know, trying to improve my, my tennis game. So, so you've got a good, um, again, moral compass helping uh, the Ukrainians learn English and things like that. It's so much fun. I just was on on a Zoom call a couple of hours ago with one of my students, but and like I said, been doing it a little over a year now. I was doing at one point. I I had uh, six students a week, and now I'm just down to two. So, so are you taking them from from zero English, or are you taking No, them no, no, maybe no. five out of ten to eight out of No, ten? No. no, no. They 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 all have kind of kind of a rudimentary. Um, schooling training in English they just they 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 really lack the opportunity to uh speak with people whose native language is English they don't they they don't have conversations they get taught in some 
Ukrainian school by some Russian person or Ukrainian person, you know, but it doesn't mean they, they know how to, you know, converse. So, you know, yeah. they just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an English teacher, but they say, listen, just having a conversation with you is, is really awesome. Yeah, it's like um, at school, uh, well, obviously the Western world aren't really very good at languages, uh, English-speaking countries uh, uh, mainly. And at school, we were taught French and, you know, you're rote learning what's on the board, etc. But as you said, it's not really how people speak when you go to that country. Uh, I mean, slang like English, for example, you come to England and the average Joe on the street does not speak, you know, the Queen's English, as you would suspect. It's all slang. It's all um, uh, shortcuts in, in some respects. So as you said, it's about actually real life conversation as opposed to this is the noun, verb, adverb right. that, that, right, right. that makes up the sentence complexity, essentially. Um, I know that you obviously as well had a um, an upbringing that uh, shaped you to where you are today or tried to shape you. Can you talk a little bit about that as well, John, please? So might you be referring to the documentary film? Correct. Yeah. So um, since I realized about 10 years ago, um, I no longer had to worry about finding new clients. Um, I decided to kind of uh, get more involved in video content creation. Uh, one of the things I've, I've been doing since the late 90s is uh, creating video content and, um, you know, mostly related to my business, my, my clients marketing kind of, uh, ads and, and marketing videos and, you know, usually nothing really over a minute or two, but all related to selling clients project products. But, um, I've always been a big fan of documentary filmmaking and, um, when I started doing some research around a topic that I was very interested in, which was how um, many people in the United States are walking away from traditional religion and even a belief in God, um, I came across a very interesting um, story about how many ministers in the U.S., priests, ministers, pastors, now, um, beyond just average churchgoers, but people who are actually in the pulpit preaching have um, more and more decided to um, come out, shall we say, as non-believers, which um, had not really gotten a lot of reporting, at least in the United States. And I'm talking six years ago now, um, Jeevan. So I, when I started reading more and more stories about these ministers coming out as non-believers, I thought, boy, it would be interesting if someone did a documentary about that. So um, even though I'm not a filmmaker, um, I, I'm a good writer. I'm a good researcher. I know how to edit. I gave myself the challenge of trying to uh, create a documentary around this subject. And a few months later, um, after um, basically working nonstop for about four or five months, I had a 47-minute film that looked like a documentary, and I, you know, I would I would rip off a lot of clips from YouTube. I didn't really shoot a lot of original stuff. I didn't have a lot of interviews, but 
I figured out how to take a lot of stuff off of the internet and kind of cobble it together in editing uh, in, a, in a manner that uh, told a very interesting story. And I kind of paralleled that with my own personal story, um, how I was raised um, in a pretty formal Catholic household and over the years kind of uh, realized that the beliefs that I was uh, brought up with no longer, um, I no longer had. So th the title of that documentary was Leaving God. And I put it up on the internet thinking that other than a few uh, friends and family members, maybe um, it really wouldn't be seen by many people. But uh, somehow it got picked up by a website called topdocumentaryfilms.com that I had never even heard of. And all I knew is that I, all, over a weekend, I, I got like five, five or 10,000 views over a weekend. And when I looked at the analytics, that's how I discovered this website because that's where they were all coming from. And they had my film featured on the main page of the website with a great review. And uh, now five months later, it's been seen by 40,000 people in 98 countries. And I also submitted it to some award shows and it won a, um, a best first time filmmaker at a festival called the Hollywood International Documentary Film Festival, which I, sounds good, right? Well, you seem to be winning awards all over the show. I mean, the the problem I've got with them. Um, it's interesting you say that about the um the the lack of belief or the rescind rescindment essentially of their belief, especially considering where they are. But Nietzsche talked about this, didn't he, Frederick Nietzsche, with uh, God is dead and we have killed him. But my 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 issues with um Christianity and in fact all of the Abrahamic religions. Well, let's take the church for example. If if God created the the and I'm not saying that. There is no such thing as a creator, but um, in terms of actually the religion themselves, oh, you have to go to church, which is a man-made thing, to pray. That's one thing. And secondly, the, the whole premise of their fundamental belief as why God exists is what's called a miracles-based argument. So Jesus walked on water. He was born by a virgin. He, uh, right. There was a serpent. Um, yeah. uh, right. Noah or Moses split the sea. So all the arguments is what's classed as in philosophical aspects is a miracles-based argument. Now, on a logical spectrum, that is probably the worst way to argue that God exists is a miracles-based argument. There are other ones like teleological-based, which is like the watchmaker argument, as it says, where if you found a watch, because it's so designed so well, you would expect it to be designed. The cosmological argument is very similar as well. That is more understandable that you know you've got dna and planets that go around each other and a, a nature and a structure that is more of a definition of or evidence that there is something not the miracles based argument that so that that's for me is where there's and as you said there has been a lot of people who become either agnostic or atheist because of that is that what happened with you as well or is it well, something a bit just to be clear uh, this was not a film trying to make an argument against religion or god that that if if that wasn't clear when i described it i i want to make sure i make that clear now um i had no agenda i approached this as a investigative reporter 
uh, because I, I realized that many Americans like myself were uh, deciding to walk away from religion. And then when I found the ministers doing that, I just thought it would make an in interesting story to report on. And then I, again, I just talk about my own experience. So I had no agenda to try to convince anyone of anything. Um, but um, if you watch, you know, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, if you Google leaving God documentary, anyone who's listening to this could, could watch it and, uh, and, and see what I uh, ended up creating. But um, yeah, that was, that was a, a, another fun project that just was very organic uh, because like I said, I've been dabbling in video content creation and I started reading these uh, reports about uh, ministers uh, coming out as non-believers. And I just thought it might be fun to try to make a documentary, not, not thinking that I could ever do anything that would be good. Uh, I just thought it might be, you know, I like challenging myself, especially creatively as a creative person. But I was very, um, I was very passionate about the message and I'm a good writer and it was a lot of fun. And I was, I was blown away when it got picked up by topdocumentaries.com because had that not happened, I think it would have only been seen by a few hundred people. I'm quite interested in um, your intuitions, actually. Um, because, I mean, if you look at either end of the spectrum, people act on pure thought and pure um, strategy and, and um, they have to plan everything out. And then there's other people on the other end who work like solely on intuition. Oh, this feels like the right thing to do. This feels like the right project to take on. And then there's obviously a mixture of that across the spectrum. For I would, I would, from what you said so far, I would say you fall more on the intuition on the intuition side. I don't know if, if that's true or not, but it seems to me because you've got that creative mind as well, you just think, oh, this will be quite interesting to sort of do. You get this idea and it sort of takes over and you're like, oh, well, how can I get this done? That'll be quite interesting. Let's get it done. Let's just throw it out there. And it then comes back and it's great success. Is it, Would you say that's where you sort of fit? I don't know if I'm being... Not, like, not, not always. Or... Not, you know, I'm not talking about all things. I, I, I followed everything you said until the part where you said it's a great success. So there've been many, many things that's not worth talking about that were not, not even great successes. They were, you know, great failures. Oh yeah. 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 I appreciate that. Not everything's going to be a success, but I'm saying the, the things that we're talking about today sure. have to come back successes. And like they say, you know, it takes 40 years to become an overnight success or, you know, I've missed a thousand basketball hoops and, you know, yeah, you yeah, see yeah. this one on the, on the main day sort of thing. So, well, it also, uh, I think it's important. It, it message here is follow your passion and you know one of my passions uh has been storytelling i love i love uh and problem solving and um i was highly motivated when i made this because i just thought it was a really really interesting story to tell starting with these priests and ministers i just was fascinated you know it's, it used to be hard to come out if you're if you're gay and now the thing is coming out as transgender but I don't know if there's anything harder than coming out uh, uh, as a non-believer when for uh, 5, 10, in some cases, 20 or 30 years, your whole identity has been built around preaching the word of God to you know hundreds of people on a weekly basis. And then you've got to admit or not admit a lot of these guys um, still 
um, have not been willing to go public with their their uh, perspective on this. There's yeah. actually a, a, a website called The Clergy Project. It's a website where a lot of these can go and, and remain anonymous, but still have a very, very supportive group of people to kind of commiserate with being in the situation. A lot of people aren't, aren't willing to walk away from their livelihoods. They've got families to feed and kind of just going through the motions on Sunday, even though um, inside they don't really believe in a lot of what they're, they're doing. So it's, it's a very interesting, I thought it was a very interesting uh, subject to focus on. And I think because I was so motivated to kind of tap into that, because I hadn't seen a lot of reporting on that, that was, that was, you know, sometimes we, the hardest thing to, to do something uh, important or big is taking that first step. But I could tell you, once I started this, this, uh, this documentary and got the first two or three minutes of it down, uh, I was just so excited. I wasn't even sure exactly where it would go, how I would, uh, complete the thing. But once I got the ball rolling, then it really became excited. Every morning, I couldn't wait to get up and figure out how I was going to, you know, tell this story. I think it's interesting, you know, like you said, oh, the people who, the ministers and the priests who were who were delivering these messages now are non-believers. I'm going to go back on what I said earlier in some respects. You know, the spectrum, I mentioned the spectrum. The spectrum is not this way. It's a circle. And sometimes you can be so far this side on the spectrum you're you're actually so close to the other end so you know you could be such a druggie that you're so bad with the drugs that you're so close to actually going cold turkey you could be eating so much shit food that it gets too far and you're like Do you know what i'm gonna eat so healthy from now on and i think that can be the case with beliefs as well you go too far into the beliefs and you, you believe every little thing and then there's one thing sometimes it just just shuts down all your belief systems something that you've learned just evaporates your self-image as you said and i think that can be the case you go too far one way and you end up back at the other side of the 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 other the other side of the bird the the the, the right and left or, or, or yeah winged bird for example because you know the right wing and the left wing is are two sides of the same bird aren't they well if, if you watch the documentary you'll see that in my case um going from a traditional Catholic belief to where I am now was basically a 40 year process. So it really took, uh, you know, it, it I've, you know, for, I, I've read the Bible uh, cover to cover. Um, I've, I've really um, in my twenties, I'm really started developing a, a strong interest in trying to understand God on my own terms, you know, not just from what I was told by nuns or priests growing up, but I really wanted to uh, try to figure it out for myself. So um, I talk about that, that 30, 40 year journey in the film. I think God's a word that's got too many connotations though. For, you know, if I say to God to you, you'd have your own version of what that means. I'd have my own version. And people are arguing God exists, God, God doesn't exist or who God is. And, they're arguing at this level, you're arguing at that level. And it's like, there's individual points that need to be argued. And this is why people get their sort of um, 
their arguments confused. They straw man the argument, basically. They change what you're arguing about. And this is one of the big issues, I think, especially with something such as religion, such as God. It's basically a straw man argument. That's, that's all it is. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any subject in the universe that has more interpretations than the word God. Right? Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Would you ever consider writing a novel? Because you're creative, you like no. to write... You like problem solving, you like stories, no. you said? No, no. Why not? Because I'm working on a rock band. But it's a side project. But much more much more important. Much more important. Well, to yeah, say, because you... at least some people will listen to my rock band. If I wrote a novel, no one would read it. Oh, fair so enough. At least I would get a few people, you know, listening to our rock band, hopefully. So how often do you play? Well, I'm I'm jamming with my buddy right after i finished this podcast i so i've got two guys that i, I right now uh we're just gigging we're just practicing one guy's a, a bass player another guy's a, a keyboard guy and eventually i'll bring the two of them together so what are you the the head the head guy the singer in my own mind yeah in my own mind. mind i haven't i haven't told the other guys that though yet yeah but you've got a planet in your own mind first like the architect designs a house First in his mind, and then it comes into reality, and that's, well, I, I, that's what we I, again. I, I did create a logo and a name, but I haven't I haven't mentioned it to either one of those guys yet. Well, maybe they'll see this and they'll be like, <laughs> "Hey, I, I'm I'm I, I'm just have to, I got to figure out. It's like when you present something, you got it. You got to rate for the right right situation to present something. But anyway, it's just it's fun. I've been playing guitar since I was 13, and um, I'm just. Uh, it's a pa another passion of mine. I just love playing and singing. That's that's it. I think I think the word passion as well has got some connotations. Um, people say follow your passion. I think there has to be a caveat to that that you need to be good at the passion that you're referring to, because I could say I'm passionate about sprinting. Okay, I'm I'm gonna sprint because I love sprinting. But I'm I'm five foot ten. Um, I'm not I'm quick, but I'm not the quickest. So for me to actually go down that undertaking is probably not going to be the best, the best idea. Well, I, I listen. I I don't know if I would agree with that. Uh, what's wrong with you? Don't have to be great at something you're passionate about. You know, you could whatever you're passionate about. If it if it makes you happy, if it gives you a better experience of living, um, and you're not you don't have to make a living at it. I guess is the difference. But, uh, but that's you know, a, a hobby, people, isn't it? Though it's like a lot of people who are passionate about singing do not have the best voice. Voice, but, you know. But that for me, that's a differentiation between a hobby and something that you like a passion that you can work towards. So right. for me, like a passion would be like something you're good at, you enjoy, um, and you it, it it agrees with your um sort of belief system to an extent. Um, so those things together. But yeah, I think if you enjoy something, I'm not saying don't do it, obviously, but it, that's going to be more of a hobby than a than a, a vocation or or a purpose or whatever you want to. Well, or... yeah, passion doesn't require making money at it. You know, what's ideal, what's ideal and what you're, I think, alluding to is if you're passionate about your profession. That's 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 the perfect situation because it's something you love. and It's also something you can make money at, you know. Yeah, well, you can make money on anything, can't you? You know, you just had singers, singers. You know, you, you, I think Ed Sheeran was singing on the um, underground at some point, and now he's a multimillionaire. So, just got to keep working at it. And actually, he wasn't a very good singer to to start with. He he came on um, 
one of the you know the TV shows. I think it was Graham Norton or something like that, and he played a voice note of when he was younger, and it was terrible. It was really really bad. So so yeah, again coming back to what you said earlier, when do we keep persisting and when do we change tact? It how long do we hold on to a boiling pot just because of how long it took us to boil? So so all of these all of these things. So I mean I, I'll take you as someone who's going to have projects on for the rest of your life. You know at the moment it's the band, and then you know there'll be some there'll be something else uh, following. I, I hope so because I get I get bored pretty easily and. Uh... If if there's not something I'm excited about, I get really cranky. Yeah, that's good. I'm the same. To be fair, I, th I need something that that intrigues me, that gets me excited, that it turns you into a little kid. Sometimes, like, oh yeah, I wonder what's going to happen here. Or you know, I think if you live life as a very like boring, mundane person, you'll just end up getting depressed at some point. Well, that's. You know, that's that's the reason I enjoy doing these podcasts is because um, I live a pretty isolated life. And uh, since I found out about some of these podcast uh, websites, matchmaking websites, I really enjoy talking to people like yourself from around the world and, you know, hearing about them and, and talking to them. And it's it's, um, you know, I used to work in New York City and you'd be meeting people every day. And having interesting conversations and since i left the manhattan uh 20 years ago it hasn't been quite the same so it's been it's been really fun being on podcasts like this talking to people like you absolutely if anyone wants to reach out to you um and i don't know get some advertising advice or come and see you, you and your band at the local bar uh how, how can they reach out to you john i i suppose they could google my name if they know my name and know how to spell it I've got a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't think there's any other John Follises on, uh, in the world that have more online content than I do. So I think there's a fair chance if they Google my name and know how to spell it, they'll figure out how to get a hold of me. Well, we'll put it all in the uh, in the show notes description, whatever okay. you want to call it. Is there anything okay. that you you want to say that maybe we've not covered so far, John? No, I just once again appreciate being on your show and having the opportunity to. Uh, to talk about some of this stuff. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And it's not every day you get to meet someone who's been to the White House. Thank you. Thanks again.